All right, tonight, or not tonight, today, we are continuing our series on uh, words of life. Our first series is on God, uh, which we started last week with the word God. And of course, God is a perfectly good thing to call our creator, but it, as a term, it is a bit generic uh, because God, of course, is a, uh, a generic word that applies to anything that we consider to be a deity. And it could be false gods or fake gods or just sometimes we use the word God for somebody who's really good at something. Uh, so Psalm, uh, Psalm 9, 9 through 10, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. It would be a bit strange to trust somebody whose name you didn't even know, right? Just uh, on the street, you just meet some person and, and you know what, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to, why don't you watch my kids? I don't know your name, but why don't you come babysit my kids? Of course, we never do that, right? The idea of pursuing a trusting relationship starts with knowing somebody's name. And those who seek you implies what? Well, it implies people who want to know God, right? Who want to know Yahweh, with his name that we'll use throughout this sermon, people who seek a relationship with, which, again, begins with a name. Although not really because, of course, well, as we'll see, God did not reveal his name to the people of Israel at the beginning. Now, Moses, of course, was tasked with a great job. Moses was tasked with going back to Egypt and saving the people, bringing them out of, uh, uh, of Egypt, bringing them out of slavery. And Moses, of course, he approaches the burning bush and, and God calls him out of the bush. And, and Moses starts coming up with excuse after excuse. I don't want to, essentially, is what it is. But he comes up with various excuses. And one of the excuses he has in Exodus chapter 3, Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, it's a bit of a weak excuse, as we'll talk about. But it's interesting that the Israelites didn't know his name up to this point. Exodus 6.3, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Specifically, he says, I did not tell Abraham and Isaac and Jacob my name. They didn't get to know that. So Israelites didn't know his name up to this point. Moses apparently didn't know his name up to this point. And so he, he has this excuse. Now, of course, we know Moses is just using this as an excuse because they know who God is. They know who God is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of their fathers, right? They know. It's not like they don't know. Moses is just using it as an, as an excuse. But God does answer this question. Exodus 3, 13 through 17. God said to, the, to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and seen what has done, been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. It is interesting now, I've talked about some of this before. I have, obviously, I'm just going to put all this up there because I have a typo. I've some, you've heard me talk about this before, and some of you have. Some of you are new, so you haven't, so I'm going to say it again. Our English Bible does a disservice here when we use the word in Exodus chapter 3, the word Lord. The Lord, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? God would be the generic thing. 
the, the kind of being that he is, the entity of deity, the God of. But the Lord is the way that they translate his name. Now, at some point, this started with Israel. It's not our fault. It is our fault. Not totally our fault that we use English, the English word Lord here. Because that's what the Israelites did at some point. At some point, the ancient Israelites, they stopped using Yahweh, the name of the Lord, and replaced it with the generic Adonai. Adonai, which is a word that we could talk about, we're not going to, which means in Hebrew, just the generic Lord. Could refer to a Lord of a city, or a Lord of a land, or a Lord over a house. Just the generic ruler, or Lord, Adonai. And instead of using Yahweh, the Hebrews started using Adonai. As a means, I think, originally, of preserving the holiness of his name, they didn't want to, of course, the commandment is take not, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, right? So we'll just be safe. We'll just start using Adonai. It'll be fine. And then the New Testament writers do that too. The New Testament writers don't use Yahweh. They don't use I am even, or the, the Greek version of I am, Amy. They use Kyrios, which is Lord, the, the Greek word that means Lord. And then our English translators did it too, right? And it just is a cycle that continues, our English translators use, and I don't have it on the screen. I probably should have gone through, but it was a lot of work. In your Bibles, you have the small caps, or the all caps, Lord. But when God did not say Adonai, when he told Moses his name, he did not say Lord. He could have done that. But he did not say that, or any other word meaning Lord. And so I think our translations do a disservice here in translating the word Lord, because that's not what it is. There's a different word for that that God could have used if he wanted. Now, I'm going to put in parentheses here the Israelite, or the, the not Israelite, the Hebrew word Yahweh, which is the Lord, and then related in the I am's, Haya, which is related to the word Yahweh, the, the, the God said to Moses, I am who I am, and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said this, say this to the people of Israel. He didn't say Adonai, the God of your fathers. He said Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. And then he repeats it down there, the Lord. And it's a bit strange to me because specifically what does he say? This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. And yet we are not doing that. It is a bit strange to me that God specifically told Moses his name and specifically said, thus I am to be remembered, and then they stopped saying it. To the point that we don't even know how to pronounce it, really. Because the Israelites stopped pronouncing it. They started saying Adonai instead. They only wrote Yahweh. And because Yahweh is a word that doesn't have any vowels, uh, we, we're unsure or unclear how to pronounce that. Now, the word Haya, which is why I'm saying Yahweh, the word Haya, which is right here, which means I am, or to be, uh, a, word, a Hebrew word meaning to be, we sort of put those vowels in because it seems to be connected. I am who I am, as I am has sent me to you. And so we have a couple of notes here. Through, though at some point they stopped saying Yahweh, they did carry versions of it throughout their culture. The psalm, uh, or the shortened Yah, appears quite often in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, psalm 68.4 is an example of this. I'm not going to put it up there, but Yah, is, is a version of sometimes translated the Lord in your Bibles. Hallelujah. Well, that's praise Yahweh. Elijah. Now, we don't say Elijah, although they probably would have said Elijah. They wouldn't have said Jah like we do. That is El, which we talked about last week. 
El, shortened for Elohim, God is Yahweh. Joshua. Again, we, they wouldn't have said Jah, they would have said Yeshua. Yahweh is salvation. So, though the Israelites stopped saying it, they did carry this forward in their culture, in their naming, in what they, how they even named their children in the places that they named. A lot of times in, in the New Testament, or not the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Israelites will come to a place or an event will happen and they'll name a place something that is connected to Yahweh or his, this shortened version. Now, Jehovah then is mostly made up. Again, they wouldn't have had the hard J sound for sure. And a monk added the vowels from Adonai, just put in the vowel sounds to Yahweh, sometime in the 15th century. And that's where we get Jehovah, which again, probably shouldn't even be Jehovah. It should be at the very least Jehovah. But even then, it's just a monk made it up at some point, And here we are. But because Israel stopped saying it millennia ago, we still don't know how to pronounce it. So maybe Jehovah's fine. I don't know. Because we don't know how to pronounce it, right? There's no vowels. This name that he said, I should be remembered throughout how many generations? For all generations, which would include us. We need to be thinking about his name. Now there's the name and there's what it means. Because it's not just a generic name, there is a meaning behind this name. As we see in Exodus chapter 3. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And God said to Moses, say this to the people of the Lord. This is Yahweh, the God of your fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name for uh, forever and I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The name intrinsically is tied to existence. Some have said it means the self-existent one, the one who exists. That's it, the one who exists. And he says that, right? I am has sent me to you. It is the thing that makes this God different than all the other gods. When he says the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as opposed to what? The God of the Canaanites, and the God of the Hivites, and the God of the Jebusites, and the God of whatever. The thing that makes Abraham's God different is existence. Not just existence, but specifically that he had no beginning. And I've said this before, this is the hardest thing to wrap your mind around about God. I don't know if it's the hardest. It's probably top three. To conceive of a being that did not begin. What does that even mean? He just has always existed. Self-existence. This is his name. That he exists. That he has always existed. And he will always exist. He is not dependent upon anyone else. His existence is not dependent upon any other thing causing him to be. He just is the I am. And so, a couple of attributes about this that are important for us. Self-existent, eternal, and never-changing. These are the attributes that we see in his name. Isaiah 26, 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for Yah Yahweh, the Lord God. Sometimes it's shortened again to Yah, but in the, in the Hebrew this is Yah Yahweh, the Lord God, is an everlasting rock. I say the Lord God, that's how it's translated in the ESV. But what do we see here? He is forever, an everlasting rock. Malachi 3, 6, and 7. For I, Yahweh, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. For from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says Yahweh of hosts. The Lord of hosts has a different connotation than his name there, right? The Lord of hosts is just the leader of the hosts, which is fine. That is a thing that he is called in some places. But Yahweh of hosts, it's not just a generic host, it's Yahweh's host. 
his army, his legions. And what is Malachi saying here? I do not change. You're not consumed. You are, have an opportunity to repent. You have an opportunity to be spared because I do not change. I am consistent in my love. I am consistent in my steadfast love. So I'm going to give you this opportunity. That's what God's saying through Malachi. Return to me and I will return to you as I always do. James 1, 16 through 17. He doesn't use the word Yahweh here, but he does use the same idea. For, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Out of all the things that God could have said is his name. Because he's, he's God, he gets to do whatever he wants, right? He gets... I don't know, it's an unusual thing. Did he pick his name? Did he just always have it? Again, it's hard for us to wrap our minds about an eternal being in this way, but out of all the things that could have been his name, I am. I exist. That is his name. So God, while is a, is a generic term for deity, applying to all manner of false and pretend gods, when giving his name the identifier that separates him from all the other things we called God, the thing that makes him different is his eternal existence. Yahweh is a being who has always existed and always will exist, and moreover, he does not change. So when we read the Old Testament, this is what gives the Old Testament its power, by the way. Every time we read about Yahweh, everything we read about Yahweh matters because Yahweh is still the same. Everything we read about in the Old Testament, everything that Yahweh did, everything that he said, everything that he accomplished, every way that he treated people, all the ways that he dealt with Israel, all the ways that he dealt with the people outside of Israel, all of those things are still just as much a part of who he is because he does not change. He is who he has always been and who he will always be. Which means that I can trust fully in what I read in the Old Testament and what I read in the life of Jesus, who I think referenced this quite a few. We're not going to read them. But Jesus, who references this quite a bit when he says, before Abraham was, I am. When he does the seven I am statements, I am this, I am this, I am this. I don't think that the Israelites would have missed what he was doing there. Exodus 34, verse 4. So Moses cut two tablets of stone from the first, and he rose early in the morning, went up on Mount Sinai, as Yahweh had commanded him, and he took in his hand two tablets of stone. Yahweh descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. Yahweh passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We don't really typically associate this with, quote-unquote, the Old Testament God, right? But we're seeing this here. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression of sin, but who by no means will clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. Because the only response to the name of God is worship. who will forgive because of his steadfast love, but who will not clear the guilty because of who he is. Exodus 34, 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of testimony, he was just up there, he got the tablets, right? He came back down. 
with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone. I would be so crazy, wouldn't it? And they were afraid to come near him. They couldn't even look at him. Moses, put a veil over your face. We can't even look at you because of he was in God's presence. And this story is referenced then as we conclude in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul talking about this idea that they couldn't even look at Moses because of the glory of the Lord, because of who God is. And when Moses was in his presence, we have such a hope there. So we, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, whenever they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted. He's making a symbolic idea here, right? That they could not look at God because of the glory. They couldn't even look at Moses because of the glory. And even now, when people read and they do not understand the glory of God, it is like a veil. They just can't understand. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Christ who is the exact representation of the Father. Christ who is the glory of the Father. Because just like the Father, Christ is the I Am. And we see our Father in Him. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one, is, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is spirit. I wonder often why the New Testament writers did not use Yahweh. Part of it is because the Israelites stopped, and of course then they stopped as well. But as we consider what's happening here, as we are being transformed into the glory of the Lord, it is a long process, not going to be completed in this life, will be eventually completed, and what are we being turned into? We are being turned into beings who will always exist, right? Or always exist either way, but the glory that comes from the Lord, that is from the Lord who is the Spirit, that's what we're looking forward to. A time when we can look on the self-existent, eternal God who does not change and realize that we are like Him because He has made us like Him. I look forward to that day when I never have to worry about change anymore. When I will exist in his presence forever in his glory. Don't you look forward to that? Maybe I'm the only one. We look forward to that, don't we? Because our God is eternal and does not change, and his mercy is forever. Amen! The mercy that he showed to them, he wants to show to you. To be in a relationship with you so that you can know him perfectly Eventually, perfectly. Imperfectly now, but perfectly eventually. And so we offer the invitation. A God who does not change, who has always existed, who has offered to us a chance to be forgiven. Please take advantage of that today. If you believe, if you're ready to turn from your old life, if you're ready to be immersed into Christ, let's do it. Come while we stand and sing.